This is Geek Gab with your host, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, February 4th, 2016. We are talking space opera with author John Delarose. But before we get there, I have got two tiny micro reviews. To get out of the way, because by gum and by golly, I wasted, I hope I didn't give anything away there, I wasted hours of my life preparing for these reviews, and so even though they're going to be short and compact, we're hoping to get them out before we really get into things, but before that, even, and if you're counting, folks, that is, in point of fact, two befores. Before that, I want to stop and say hi to my fellow hosts and allow them to greet you, our awesome audience. How you doing, John? Doing good, everybody. Geekery's been uh, on the on the downside since we're puppy training, but uh, the puppy's great. Doesn't know how to read Pulp Fiction yet, though, so... Is, is it, it's been a hard, I don't know if this is a, a subject people want to get into. Has it been difficult trying to train your puppy? You know, it hasn't. It, the, the puppy, we have a golden retriever. He picks up things easily and uh, training with little treats makes it easy. Like he'll, he'll pick things up quickly, but he's very demanding on your time. And, and, and you have to, you know, reiterate a, uh, the things that you're teaching him over and over again. Um, and so he's still very young, and so he still demands a lot of time from us. So like, he doesn't play alone very well. And of course, sleeping through the night without getting up to go outside is not a thing yet. All right, uh, Brian, how have you been? Busy, the, the best kind of busy, working on a new book, as I'm sure our awesome audience will love to hear. And thank you for joining us, awesome audience. Is that no? Is that the new book or the other new book? Uh, might have to be a bit more specific. Well, um, you, you did promise us another Soul Cycle book, right? Right, that's coming before the end of the year. You know, that that is, that's my goal. I'm aiming for. Shouldn't be too hard to meet that. Uh, but no, that is uh, what I'm working on now. Is not that one. This would be the Castelli House project. Is your aim to be that kind of author where people uh, annoy you online by saying, Brian, why are you doing this stupid podcast instead of writing book X? <laughs> well, I don't think that's up to me. I mean, unless I stopped either writing or doing stupid podcast X, which I'm not going to do. But uh, no, the, the reason just to try to head off any questions like that is a podcast is how you, dear reader, get to learn about Project X. So uh, I'm at work right now. Sucks awesome. to you. <laughs> I want to pause. Before we jump into the micro reviews, I want to pause just a bit and gloat. And gloat that I knew that there was the new book and then there was the other new book and you had completely forgotten about either one of those. I don't know which one, but you'd forgotten about one of those. Go ahead. Let me counter gloat. So yesterday I became the 81st most popular author in the world. Ooh. In Go the clap. world. Okay. 
yeah, on on Amazon, which is the biggest bookseller in the world. So yeah, I'm I'm claiming the title. Congratulations. <laughs> That's cool. Thanks. I wish it had been under better circumstances, but uh, let's just say a rising tide lifts all ships, and um, it was from Forbidden Thoughts. Forbidden Thoughts got way up there into, um, gosh, easily the top 500 on Amazon. It's like number one in its categories. And um, it's because it made it into the Also Bots. It's actually number one in the Also Bots for Milo Yiannopoulos' book, Dangerous. So that's why that happened. All right, I'll well, take it. congratulations. Um, so this week and last week, I spent way too much time. On one hand, I spent 60 hours doing something that I've got to give a bad review for. On the other hand, I spent two hours doing something that I've got to give a bad review for. And I'm trying to balance in my mind which one of those two caused me the most problems. Which one of those two I should be more disgusted at. Which one of those two I should be more angry at. So we'll do the short one first while I'm mulling that over. I went and saw Resident Evil, the final chapter. Now, people have commented. They have been cynical. They have doubted whether or not this Resident Evil would actually be the final chapter. And I wish to rebuke all the cynics. I am absolutely confident that this will be the final chapter of the current Resident Evil series. Now, don't get me wrong. I fully expect to see a reboot in the next two to three years. But for this incarnation of the Resident Evil movies, I am absolutely assured they are over and... Frankly, it could not have come at a better time. The It was painful, guys. There was... Let me start with the technical problems. The technical problems that marred the whole movie because, frankly, you couldn't actually watch the movie in the theater. It was dark. It was muddy. They had a load of characters they kill off one by one. But it was almost impossible to tell who they were killing off because the screen was so dark. And then the fight scenes were all shot with the worst shaky cam I have seen in a long time. I haven't seen the Bourne movies recently enough to directly compare the two, but I am absolutely sure that this movie was worse. So between darkness on the screen and the shaky cam, it was almost impossible to tell what was going on. And yet, despite that, there were absolutely, it was absolutely apparent that there were massive plot holes, not just with what was going on in the movie, the internal logic of this movie, but not making any sense as regards the other movies. This is supposed to be the sequel of a six-movie series. And it completely rewrites everything that happened in most of the previous movies. And it is confusing. It is frustrating. It was unpleasant. You may not know this, 
But movie studios dump January. They dump movies in January. And so any movie that's released in the month of January is one the studio is basically saying, we think this is a piece of crap. We don't think audiences are going to like it. We don't think audiences are going to go to it. And so Resident Evil, the final chapter, was released in January for good reason. Now, let me move on. So that's my micro-review. I have very little positive to say about the movie. I can't even praise the action scenes because I couldn't see the action scenes. And I'm a fan of the Resident Evil movies. I don't think they're the best cinema in the world. I don't even think they're the best zombie movies in the world. But they have been consistently entertaining for five movies. They've been consistently entertaining, and this one wasn't even entertaining. So let me put that aside and let me go to the video game. Now, you may suspect that the video game that I'm talking about is Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. Or, if you're living in Japan, Biohazard 7 Resident Evil. Um, that's not the video game I'm going to talk about. I started that game last night. I've got maybe half an hour into it, so I can't say anything about it other than the first half hour to an hour was genuinely eerie and disturbing, and so far it's been a really good game. I can't promise that it's going to continue, so I'm not giving a review of that. Maybe next week. Now, the game I will review is another zombie game, and it is Dead Rising 4. Not the fourth game in the Dead Rising series, like Resident Evil series. It's really got a slipshod relationship with numbering. But Dead Rising 4, if I could give a... And those of you who are fans of Dead Rising will understand exactly what I mean. If I could give a quick capsule review of Dead Rising 4, it would be this. Dead Rising 4 is what it took... For me to look back on the heady days of playing Dead Rising 3 with fondness and nostalgia. Those of you who have played the Dead Rising games know exactly what that means. Dead Rising 4 is not a good game. There is almost nothing about the game that could be said to be good. And everything that makes Dead Rising, Dead Rising has been taken out. And it's gone. It's just not good anymore. And let, and let me be perfectly honest. The original Dead Rising, Dead Rising 1, was rushed out to be released as one of the launch titles for the Xbox 360. And so its design was not well thought out. It was a grab bag of random game mechanics slapped together that was accidentally fun in some respects. And so it was enjoyable enough to buy, it was enjoyable enough to play, especially when there weren't very many games for the 360. It was brutally hard in some instances, really, really easy in some other places. And what made it fun, there were a couple of hundred 
small, charming little touches in animations when you killed zombies, when you escaped from zombies, when you, you could throw pies at zombies, you could squirt them in the face with a fire extinguisher, how the zombies looked as they shambled towards you, all of the animations as you fought the zombies filled the game with moments of delight. And that's what game design is all about, delighting the audience, providing small moments of enjoyment or delight. Now, the other thing that made it interesting and worthwhile was the hard time limit on all your quests. Quests to save people, they call them survivors. Quests to gather information to investigate the zombie outbreak. All of those quests had hard time limits, and you could continue playing if you missed them up, but that was it. The last thing that made it fun is if you died, you could immediately restart with all of the uh experience you had up to that point in fact the only way really to play the game was to play it through until you died and then start again and play it through again keeping all that same experience so you had all new moves more hit points more slots in your uh, inventory stuff like that so the everything those three things that i've just listed have all been taken out of dead rising 4. There is no longer time limits for quests. They've got rid of all the charming animations for zombie movement. And uh, all of that is just, it, it's just gone. You can no longer just start again from the top with all the same experience. So everything that made Dead Rising worthwhile in this random grab bag of mechanics that only accidentally worked, everything that made Dead Rising worthwhile they took out of Dead Rising 4, and what's left is just not worth your time. I would not recommend buying this game, even if it was really, really cheap on Steam. And you can say, but Daddy Warpig, it's a Xbox One exclusive. And I will say, <laughs> that'll never last. It never does. That's Capcom. So those are my micro-reviews. Um, both of them were very disappointed. I spent money and time on both of them, and um, they were just awful. Oh, yeah, Dead Rising 4 is also crashy. Not only did it crash the game several times, it crashed my entire console. I had to reboot my entire console. It took it down. Uh, it, I didn't even have to reboot it. It took the console down so hard, the console had rebooted itself. So, all right. Any questions about those reviews before we go on? Nope. Do you like zombie stuff? Do you like zombie movies? In general, yes. Although uh, they've been getting more and more wearying recently. Was that it? There was no follow-up? Nope. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's welcome our special guest, John uh, Delarose, um, to the show. We want to thank him for having the patience to sit through our preamble and uh, our micro-reviews. just... Sometimes you have to just take care of things, uh, get them out of the way. Welcome to the show, John. Is, is he still here? Did I think he, you stunned him. Did he get up in frustration? That's it. I can't say anything. I can't get a word in his right eye. Quit. It looks like he's still there in the chat. Well, uh, while we were waiting, unless I had the <laughs> pleasure to be on the Forbidden Thoughts release party live stream with John a few weeks ago. 
had a lot of fun there. Hopefully he'll return soon to give us more fun. Um, man, there's some, uh, the chat, uh, the conversation in the chat, yeah. by the way, has veered like way off from the uh, main topic of the show, but it's kind of interesting. Do you want to, uh, you're keeping up with it better than I've been. Uh, do you want to summarize it, Brian? You read my mind. Yes, I, I am glad you asked about what's going on in the chat. So, folks in the chat, Ben Rodriguez, Redford Walker, et al. are talking about the influence of Hollywood's reliance on foreign markets on movies, specifically the Chinese market, and how uh, Stefan Molyneux also made this point that because Hollywood has to appeal to a global audience, that's why movies really can't positively portray specifically cultural values anymore. Like, like things especially that America or the West in general value, and it, it's got to be kind of muddled down to the lowest common denominator, which is why the, the male and female lead act like weird robots when it comes to romance and things, and why all humor must be slapstick now. Here's the this thing. is John Delarose. Can you guys hear me now? Yes. Yes. Excellent. Hello. Okay. Welcome. Looks like I had a problem. That drives me crazy. The uh, the weird robot aspects of things, and I've seen a lot of commentary, especially regarding Rogue One, uh, in regards to the fact that there is no romance. There's no possibility of romance. There's it's just awkward between the characters at all times. Uh, between male and female, and it's it's just not fun to watch at the end of the day. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think movies need to get back to where there was some sort of interesting human dynamic in addition to just advancing the plot. Absolutely. All right. Um, between the uh, many reviews and the technical problems, we've taken up most of the show. So I want to hit uh, – I want to hit – John stuff really really hard. I wanted to talk about your book, or I wanted to let you talk about your book. Um, sure, it is on Amazon, and the link to both his blog and his book are in the description below the video. Um, so, if you're at all intrigued after hearing this discussion, you can go and check it out right now. Well, my book is uh, has been compared to Rogue One a lot. It has a element where it's a band of misfit sort of rogues from a uh, rebellious colonist group going into a uh, sort of more established empires area and trying to accomplish a task. Uh, and that, that sounds very generic right there, but, but uh, in, my, in my book, uh, there's been a fleet admiral who's been captured who is a strategic mind. And that person is, is paramount to the colony's survival uh, out, out, out on the rim and all that. And uh, so they, they have to go rescue her rather than trying to steal some Death Star plans and all that. And uh, since I get that comparison a ton, that, that's why I was so passionate about the, uh, the romantic angle. I, I actually use that as a plot device uh, in my book very hard. Um, and I use that in a section where one of the main characters who works for the, the Trade Federation, it is in my book and in the Star Realms game, which is based upon, uh, one of the persons who works for them falls very hard instantly for uh, the character who's trying to break in and and and, uh, and uh, recapture uh, the admiral back for her her star empire. And uh, what happens at that point is he just blindly starts to assist her. 
And when I was giving early drafts to people, people who are science fiction writers, some well-known, some lesser, um, they, they poo-pooed that concept quite a bit. I was told, you know, this is, this is cheesy, et cetera, you know, but in reality, when humans are not robots, um, we do very stupid things uh, when it comes to having our, our hormones uh, engaged. And we will, we will give up our lives for, for the other person quite often. I mean, I, I see it all the time. And I think exploring that aspect of things is a very important part, part, part of my book. Um, I enjoy the, the romance element as much as I enjoy the intrigue and the action elements. And I, I think I did a good job of throwing all three together in a way that uh, is cohesive and is balanced in those regards. So if you if you like that, if you like the fact that Luke had a interest in Leia uh, before before she was his sister, if you like uh, if you like your heroes to to get caught up in emotion in in the middle of danger, uh, you should enjoy Star Realms, uh, just just like those old movies. That's a great point because I was just reading the original Star Wars novelization, which came out before the movie, it was based on an earlier script. And since you can get inside the characters' heads and hear their inner monologue, like the attraction of Luke for Leia is way more explicit and it's way more of a driving factor in his motivation. And uh, yeah, aside from the you know retroactive creepiness of it, it does add a, a dimension to the story. Yeah, I loved that blog. Uh, I, I commented on that, you saw. Um, and uh, it was, uh, that's, uh, yeah, those, the, the old books, Alan, Alan Dean Foster has always done a good job of, of just maintaining sort of the, the real hero narrative and, and, and making real characters out of, out of anything. And he, and he was used for a long time in different, um, different, uh, different novelizations and things like that. So he's, he's definitely an inspiration to me and, and somebody I want to follow the path of. You could do way worse. Exactly. Um, are you working on a, a sequel or are you working on a different book right now? Uh, I set the book open so that it definitely has a sequel potential. I, I'm not working on that right now. I would definitely like to. Um, right now I'm working on my own space opera uh, universe. And uh, that one, I, I've, I'm kind of taking two different tracks where I'm gonna I'm gonna make two different series out of it. Um, one is one is going to be a big space opera war between two two species and and uh, who, are, who are coming into conflict uh, because you know they're coming into border conflicts. And then the uh, the other one that's gonna uh, spin off from that, which I'm writing right now. I've, I've already written the first book of the other, but haven't published it yet. Um, is going to be a group of people who are just fed up with the government. They think that the war is immoral, illegal. They just they just can't. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to see their sons and daughters going out and dying in this endless war against this alien species. And uh, they don't see that they have any voice in doing anything about it. And so they say, well, you know what? Screw it. We're going to go off and uh, start a colony so far away that we'll never run into humanity again. And so uh, that's that's what I'm in the middle of writing right now. Um, I, I'm excited. I, I, this this world I'm I, I've been working on for five, ten years, just building the little elements of it, and I'm I'm excited to finally kind of kind of get that out to the world. Um, other than that, I have a baseball in space novella, which is getting edited right now, 
and I'm uh, I'm aiming to put that out around opening day for baseball season this year. So you're um, are you indie published? Yeah, my first my first Star Realms book uh, was done through Evil Girlfriend Media in conjunctions with um, White Wizard Game, uh, who who made the game of Star Realms, which is a card game and app, very simple, fast paced. It's uh, it's ships and, and bases against ships and bases. You you cycle through your hand each turn and just do damage to your opponent. Uh, very very cleverly done, beautiful, and you know spurs the imagination for a lot of action. Um, it was edited by Jennifer Brozak. She's done some some work for Bane, done some work on the Shadowrun RPG um, novelizations. Um, so yeah, I mean we had a pretty good team together uh, putting this first book out. How, uh, how did you get in contact with White Wolf to get hired for that? Um, I was at Gen Con just playing games, and I start I, I talked to the designer there, and I kind of laid out my vision of, uh, you know, I'd, lo I'd love to have a book for this, and I'm writing. Uh, my, my background writing-wise, I was doing the flavor for another card game, which is called Doomtown Reloaded, and I was writing short fiction for, for that, that, that the world kind of progressed as new sets came out. And, uh, you know, I, I said, I'm, I'm working for this company. I'd love to, you know, expand the Star Realms universe, and we kind of we met from there. Well, that's exciting, because... I actually followed a very similar path to you. I had this setting and background that I was working on for over a decade. So yeah, let, let me tell you, it is super gratifying when you finally get that out there in front of an audience and have people telling you, hey, I enjoyed this. I stepped until 3 a.m. reading this without realizing it. And honestly, I'm glad you're writing in the same genre as me in space opera because we need it. We need it to come back. Um, Star Wars is no longer fit for purpose, and frankly, we, we need to fork it. Yes, so someone, else, someone else that we might have heard of, I think, wrote a blog recently about uh, how, how Star Wars kind of kind of tanked the genre for a while. I, I, I don't remember who wrote that. Hmm. <laughs> um, but, it, but it did. Um, and I think that, uh, that, you know, if you look at the history of space opera, we had a, we, it, it had its peak, really, in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, you had the Lensman come out. You had Flash Gordon going on, and it—that—that's uh, that, really went through the imagination. You, you can argue that Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, kind of paved the way for that. But I, I think those, those ones in particular, are spurred the imagination when you got into the '60s and '70s with with Niven and Ringworld, and you know, Heinle Heinlein even went into it with Starship Troopers a little bit, um, and then then Star Wars came out, and boom. Anything, anything after that was, why are you trying to copy Star Wars, right? Well, our own Daddy Warpig wrote an excellent article about Star Wars over at the Castellios blog. That's what I was referencing, about. yes. <laughs> All right, we Daddy, are. Are we I'll done already? I, I was going to say, uh, do you, do you want to expand upon that at all? Because I, I, found, that, I found that really intriguing. And uh, it, made me, it made me think, Yes, we need. We need. We really need to make a, a push to bring this back. And we're both setting you up here. We send them before you knock them down. DW. <laughs> um, well, I'm uh, I'm publishing a new blog post on Monday that is uh, sort of a, a follow up to it, um, talking about the same things from a different perspective. So, um, <clears throat> I think it's a great post. I just finished it today, so uh, that's coming out on Monday. Um, 
let me back up and say this. Science fiction and fantasy, the fantasy and science fiction genre was, it had its golden age during the reign of the pulps. Um, more people watched it, more people read it, more people listened to it in movie serials and radio serials and in stories. Everybody did. Adults, children, men, women, it was very, very popular. Science fiction didn't become a, a genre for geeks and teen boys um, until after the pulps faded away. It was the fading away of the pulps that, that caused the genre to become what it is today, which is kind of a ghetto. And so skipping over a bunch of really, really complicated stuff, what Star Wars did was it came in and picked up all of these, first off, all of these uh, discarded tropes, like light swords. Yes. Um, and you can, uh, P. Alexander listed like three different works that had had light swords prior to that. Um, the mystic magician in space, all of these tropes that had been largely discarded from science fiction. And the... Uh, Science fiction had, had thrown away all this fun stuff. Science fiction had thrown away all this interesting stuff. Science fiction had thrown away all this great stuff. And the reason why Star Wars was so popular, one half of it is that it picked up all of this interesting, um, awesome, intriguing, colorful pieces of story, of setting, of tools, and brought them back. And because it had been forgotten for 30 years... Um, nobody knew, or 37 years, almost 40 years, nobody knew it wasn't original with George Lucas and still don't. Star Wars kind of owns laser swords now, even though they were, you know, had sprung up far before, long before uh, Star Wars. So that's half of it. The other thing that Star Wars did was it brought back the sense of adventure. It brought back the sense of heroics, and it brought back... Uh, the sense of heroism, which successive generations of coherent movements in the science fiction community had gotten away from because it was considered puerile, childish, whatever. Um, and so when you're looking at why Star Wars succeeded, it was succeeded because it went back to all of that stuff from the pulps. It went back to the cool toys and the cool tools of the pulps, and it went back to the heroics and heroism and adventure of the pulps. And that's why everybody loved Star Wars. And, and also it had a, a strong moral core. And we had been going through a long period of time in movies specifically, to take this out of the realm of written science fiction fantasy, we've been going through a long period of time in movies during the 60s and 70s that were all miserable movies about no heroes, some anti-heroes, and they're all just freaking depressing. If you've ever seen Electroglide in Blue, or if you've ever seen Easy Rider, or if you've ever seen Sorcerer, those are three realistic movies from the 1960s and 1970s that are all great and all well done up until the very, very end. And I'm going to spoil it because the spoiler... Um, the spoiler have expired. So these are our 50-year-old movies. If you haven't seen them already, that's your problem. If you haven't seen Easy Rider, that's your problem. The main characters in all three of those movies get murdered in the last seconds of the movie. They get killed. It's a complete downer. 
It's a complete waste of time. We had had a ton of preachy Vietnam War movies. We had a ton of movies that sneered at the middle class. We had a ton of movies that sneered at America, that sneered at religion. And in Star Wars, what you had was a movie that didn't sneer at America, didn't have anything to do with America, really, except the rebels fighting for freedom was a very American theme. It didn't sneer at the middle class. It didn't sneer at middle class values, and it didn't sneer at religion. Even though the religion in Star Wars was more Buddhist, more Taoist than anything uh, else, it has no real connection to Christianity or uh, Judaism or any other mainstream American religion, it was still a religion, and it was still sending the message that this that faith has power. And so it was in an era in which all of these things had gone completely the other way, Star Wars came along and sort of reinvigorated them. And it may not have gone, uh, certain aspects of it may not have gone far beyond Star Wars, but that's what audiences really keyed into. That's why audiences really loved it. And so my thesis is entirely an argument for reading the pulps and for those people who are writing new stories and books in the same vein as the pulps to say, we know this stuff works, we know it's popular, and we know it's great. Because Star Wars came along and dominated the entire media landscape by reinvigorating um, these tropes, by picking them up and using them when they had been abandoned by mainstream science fiction and fantasy. So that's my thesis, is we know the pulps are awesome because Star Wars came along and did stupendously well by picking up all this stuff that had been discarded by the New Wave movement, that had been discarded by uh, the Futurians and uh, the Campbellians and, uh, and all of that. And that's why Pulp is awesome. And that's how you know Pulp is awesome. It is existence proof. It is concrete evidence that audiences love Pulp and that it's not just about teen boys or geeky adults, men, women, children, everybody loves Star Wars, and you may not be able to succeed as big as George Lucas did with Star Wars or the original Star Wars trilogy, but by using that same approach of heroism and heroics and adventure and all of that other fun stuff from the pulps, you can find success as a writer. And I, I, I agree with you 100% on this. I think there's a second half to your thesis uh, that, that comes into modern science fiction a lot, especially what we see on TV and in movies. And it's the fact that Star Wars had characters who are good and lovable. And I've been, I've been blogging and talking about this a lot lately, that everything you see on TV, every movie, it's just trying to out-dark the last. And while, while there's nothing wrong with, with having some, some dark setting and all that, if you don't end up having somebody just to root for, if you don't have, if you don't have a character that you can say, okay, I really want to be this person. Uh, you you really don't have a story that you're going to watch more than once or read more than once, you know? Totally. So. Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> good. It was good chatting with you, and, uh, and thanks, guys. Appreciate being on. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, and once again, uh, links to your blog and links to your book are in the description of the video below. Um, all right. Uh, I wish to ask my fellow hosts before we sign off, is there a, do you have any closing comments or remarks or questions? Well, I just wanted to mention that, oh. that ever since we guys started started doing all this uh, talk about the pulps and everything in the past few weeks, I've had a lot of great conversations with Mrs. Dornell about the same thing. 
uh, we've been reading lots of old uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs and and uh, the uh, John Carter and the um, Tarzan. That was the other one I was thinking of, Tarzan and Conan. And uh, of course, she's in the middle of reading Dune right now. I'm like, good luck. <laughs> I think she's warming up to read an ethereal. That'll help. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's it's great talking about all this stuff. Uh, glad to have you on, John. Um, and thanks to everybody who's listening. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Speaking of ethereal, you can find a link to it and my other books below, as well as our guests, I believe. And um, yeah, the Pulp Revolution is underway. We are not stopping. There's no stopping this train because we are market-facing. We are delivering what readers want. And when we don't, we are taking the criticism graciously and reformulating. So nowhere to go but up. All right, folks, this has been Geek Gab for Saturday, February 4th, 2017. Um, that post about Star Wars Stole the Popes is available on the Casalia House blog. Um, and you can also catch my new post coming up on Monday morning, um, where I will go more into, uh, into the history of science fiction and what uh, made things awesome and what uh, made things bad. So we do appreciate you turning in and uh, participating in the chat and listening to, uh, listening to the show. We're available on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekgab. Or you can catch us on SoundCloud. Just do a search for geekgab. You can catch us on uh, the Google Play Store. Just do a search for geekgab. Or you can subscribe to us through iTunes as a podcast. Again, just do a search for geekgab. I'm hoping that by reinforcing that term, just do a search for geekgab, it will arouse in you. Not just a desire to do a search for Geek Gab and subscribe to the show, but also will spark your memory. The next time you're there, you can think to yourself, oh, yeah, what was that thing that Daddy Warpig said like four different times? So uh, we appreciate you guys uh, tuning in. We're signing off for today, but don't worry. We will be back.